Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We are a week out of our visit to PAX Unplugged. Well, it's two weeks by the time everybody's hearing that. Shh, magic. Oh, yes, the the magic of recording early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, So we wanted to do kind of a little special episode and uh, just talk through a bunch of the games we played and not just co-op and solo, although that is, of course, what we focused on at the convention, but also a few uh, competitive things. Yeah, so I'm super excited. We played a bunch of new stuff, a bunch of old stuff, some stuff that hasn't come out yet. And at the end, we'll probably talk about our favorite things from the convention as far as uh, gameplay goes. Yeah, definitely some great stuff coming up, like things that I'm really excited about. I talked about a few of them on my uh, top of the convention list already. I'm sure those might come up again. But yeah, it's a lot of good uh, things and and some uh, maybe not as good things (laughs) that we might mention too. Right. All right. So the first thing we did is we packed up and went up early. We went up on Thursday night and we met up with Steve, who is from Escape Velocity Games. He's somebody we know, and we were rooming with him. So we met with him, and then we went to an industry event where we met a bunch of people and talked about a bunch of stuff, but played no games. Yeah. No, wait, did, did we play anything Thursday night even? Uh, we played just one. Was that Thursday night? Well, I wasn't with you. I th- Oh, I, that's right. We were like waiting for Peter at the hotel lobby. And he just never showed up because he just stayed and hung out with somebody he saw. That's right. This one. I hung out with Mike Mullins, who for those of you in the solo community probably know him. He's done a bunch of solo variants. He was one of the co-designers of Bottom of the Ninth. That's right. We separated. Okay. So anyone who's ever been out with me ever in any public setting will know that when I am in a public setting with a lot of people I know, I tend to bounce around a lot. I don't tend to stay in one place and I almost never end up leaving with the people I come home with. I don't know. It's a weird personality quirk of mine. But yes, I ended up catching on with another group of people and it just so happened like I ran into Mike Mullins and we played just one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now what we were playing while you were not there. Oh, I know. Uh, we played Bullet. Taught it to Steve. I played with, uh, we were hanging out a lot that weekend with Will, the Hungry Gamer. We saw so many great people though. Yeah, so we played a competitive three-player game of Bullet, and as always, it was great. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I I was going to say the same thing about Just One. You know, you gave me so much crap about that being my game of the year, but it is still fantastic. I still love playing it. There's still hilarious moments that come up every time we play it. It's the kind of game you could teach in like a minute or two, and then you're right into it. Yeah, we also played uh, Similo, which uh, Peter and I talked about recently, and Steve and Will didn't like that that much. (laughs) I I had more fun than they did doing that one. I I don't know. If I was there, they would have liked it. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Will insisted on giving impossible clues about, like, eye numbers and stuff, so it was just a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, all games like that, right? Anytime there's a party game and people are just giving clues that aren't jiving with the rest of the uh, group, yeah, th- those never go nearly as well. And then Peter eventually showed up, but yeah, I think it was so late, we'd already gone to bed. <laughs> and you were like, why'd you guys go upstairs already? We were <laughs> after we'd waited for you for two hours. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that was basically Thursday night. <laughs> well, all right, so I might have played some more stuff. I can't remember if it was with you or not with you. I played Sub-Astral. Was that Thursday night or was that Friday? Oh, you played Sub-Astral? I did play Sub-Astral. I have played you played Sub-Astral. Yeah, I played it with uh, Aaron. 
he taught it to me Friday, and then we played it again Saturday with uh, Jeremy Howard the second day, and uh, Will, Hungry Gamer, was in there both times too. Oh, no, we played it with Will in the oh, morning. You, that you was, were in that first game on Friday? It was well, Friday there we, oh, morning. That, that, okay. That's the first thing we played on Friday, so <laughs> that, that, that's a good transition. That was the first thing we played. All right, so Friday morning, the convention hadn't opened yet. Oh, so let's talk about PAX in general. Because I know we've had some complaints about packs in the past with long lines and, and real issues getting in. Now, obviously, with the pandemic, I, I've been to Origins, too. So I'm going to compare a little bit here because everything about this ran smoother than Origins did, I think. First of all, everyone was required to be vaccinated. They had you show your card. You got a wristband. You couldn't take it off. You had to show your wristband and your badge every time you wanted to get in. There was no line for badges. I remember when we went to Origins, they said there was going to be computers to sign in the night before you couldn't. I mean, here we walked up, I don't know, nine o'clock. We're like, well, we better go in early enough that we can get our badges. But there was no line, nothing. The line problem they've had in the past where you've had to line up around the corner to get in. I don't think it was just because it was pandemic either because the convention was actually pretty packed. But everybody was wearing their masks the whole time. But The big change that they made this year is with their metal detectors, where before, you know, you had to put all your boxes and stuff on a a platform. It was none of that. People just walked in in a herd. Well, not a herd. It was, I guess it was a single file line, but it was pretty quickly. And if the blink red, they sent you off to the left to do a bag check. But these metal detectors, like I had a metal water bottle with me. I was like, oh no. They're like, don't worry about it. Just walk through. They know it's hollow and it's not a problem. So I really think they did a lot to make the convention not only safer, but also just better, more streamlined than it had been in the past. Yeah, I felt pretty safe there. I mean, I felt safer than I do at my own high school, where I'm also surrounded by people all the time, (laughs) because not everyone in my high school is vaccinated. (laughs) They do all wear a mask, thankfully. But yeah, no, it it was it was a nice time. I think the longest we had to wait, like even at the beginning of a busy day to get into the hall was like five minutes. And then we were just right in there. Well, and something they used to do, they used to have like this queue room where they would line people up. And I I hope this is a permanent change. I hope this wasn't just because. So they still had that, Peter. They still had that. They referenced it several times. Like uh, on Sunday when we were there, like a little bit before uh, the hall opened, they made us wait about two minutes. They said, we're going to wait for everyone in the queue room to go in. Once the queue room is clear, we'll let you in. Because they wanted people who had like waited in the line to get kind of slightly first preference. So there was a queue line. I just don't understand why anybody waited in it <laughs> because you could just go in anyway. It was like some like little interior room you could wait in or something, I guess. That's really weird because Friday, everybody was kind of gathered up front like you would see in a Gen Con or whatever else. I mean, people weren't packed in, but there was just a herd of people and they opened the doors and let everybody in at the same time. And we just all kind of moseyed in. So, yeah, that's a little bit weird because I thought they were going to do away with that. And I was hoping they would. But I don't know. I'm curious to see the end numbers. I'm betting it was bigger than Origins this year. And I'm wondering if it didn't catch up to Gen Con. Now, it's not going to be as big as a full Gen Con. But I'm wondering if it wasn't as big as Gen Con this year. Because it it was pretty packed all three days. Yeah. I mean, it was big enough for me. (laughs) So uh, what what do you think about Subastro, by the way? This is a sort of like a tableau building, kind of drafting-ish competitive game. Very quick card game. Yeah, so the way it works is you play a card down, and the cards are numbered, what, one to six? Yep, yep. Well, like the little clouds that the cards are associated with. Right, and so you play the card on that number, and then if you played a low number, you could take any numbers higher than you, and they would go into your tableau in front of you, and you're basically trying to use pattern matching, really. Not pattern matching, but... Set collection, set collection. 
you were trying to get different sets of cards. Exactly right. And so you needed to get like, you're trying to get all different types of terrain. There were eight of them. And it's a multiplier. You have one, you get one point, two, you get three points, whatever. It multiplies way up if you get all eight. But then your second row, you're trying to do the same thing. with. So you're trying to get, you know, two, three, four, five of each of these things and as deep as possible. So you're not only going to score your two longest columns, but you're also scoring as many rows as you can make and as deep as you can make them. So if like you only have two in your first column, then the maximum number of different rows you could score is only two because wherever it cuts off, it cuts off. So I don't know. It was interesting. I liked the thinky puzzle. So if you went low, you could add to your tableau. If you went high, so if you played like a five, you could take anything below it and add it to your hand. And there was no other way to get cards unless you took an action basically to do nothing and draw one card from the deck. So if you played low, you'd take from any of the piles below you. So if you played a five, you could grab the four pile, three pile, two pile, and then you get all those cards that are sitting in that pile waiting plus one more card from the deck as well. So it was kind of an interesting choice, whether you go low or high, whether you keep building your set in front of you or you replenish your hand. I I liked it. I thought it was fast. I thought it was fun. I didn't think it was difficult. I didn't think any of the choices were difficult, but they were all fun and it was a nice relaxing game. Yeah, it reminded me very much of a rummy game. It kind of had the same vibe to it, you know, like you're kind of like building melds or sets and the whole like placing a card down, then getting more, like pulling multiple cards at once. That all felt very rummy-ish. So, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think I requested it of Aaron uh, the, the second time I played it. <laughs> so clearly I wanted to play it again. Not something I would probably seek out myself because it's competitive and it's, you know, it's like a little light little card game, but didn't mind playing it. And speaking of competitive, the next thing we played too, which was Black Rose Wars. We didn't get a full game, but we definitely played through a round of this. And this is like a miniatures tactical game. They do have a cooperative mode now, but we didn't get... I thought so, didn't they? No, dude, the guy said like, well, he at least said that there's no solo mode, so I can't imagine there's a cooperative mode. Oh, okay, I'm completely wrong. You're right. Well, yeah, so, so that, that's a funny thing. So we've been hearing about on our Discord, so hey to all our Discord members, uh, we've been hearing about Black Rose Wars and how great it is from several people on there. And it's kind of like a, it's, it's sort of uh, Wiz Wars-ish in that you're like moving around a board and like you're casting spells at each other and stuff, but it's also got like an area control component and lots of miniatures we sat down we were like hey teach us thinking hey if it's good we can ask aries games for like a review copy we can try to cover the solo and co-op and i feel like i feel like we were halfway through the first term we were like hey so does it have solo and he's like no (laughs) so well it's interesting because the expansion adds big baddies to the middle of the board and so i was like oh maybe we could just all fight against that guy but no they're just there to cause chaos and there are other ways to score by defeating the big baddie in the middle of the board and all their summons but really, that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is it's almost like an area control game. It's it's a mix between Wiz War and um, what was that shooter game by uh, Czech Games? Oh, Adrenaline. Yeah, it did have some uh, aspects of Adrenaline. Adrenaline. Yeah, because whenever you hit somebody, you took one of their life cubes and you kind of collected it. So you were collecting different people's life cubes. Oh, wait, now, now, now I'm looking at the BGG page and Black Rose Wars Inferno, the expansion, says one to six players. I thought they said there was something. Well, no, no, just- they, they they definitely said no. Like the guy was like, I'm not sure if there is. And then he asked like his like boss or someone who knew more than him. And the guy was like, nope, no solo. So <laughs> I guess uh, whatever. It's fine. The, the community on BGG has voted that it is way better multiplayer than solo. So I'm guessing it's maybe a bit tacked on. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I could see that happening. You know, those are the kind of games that are kind of hard unless you've designed it from the front or you have somebody come in and dedicated design something with a full deck of Automa cards. Like, I can't imagine trying to make that work just with a throw-in design. Yeah, and uh, after that, we did get to play a cooperative game. This was one of my top games of the con, and I've already talked about it a bunch in the video I did. So, Peter, you want to tell them about Tidal Blades 2 coming sometime early next year to Kickstarter or GameFound from Skybound Games? What do you think about that one? That one I liked a lot. So it is a dungeon crawler type game, although we weren't in a dungeon. So I don't know what you want to call it. Map in a book type game where you had, although the interesting thing here was they had two books similar to what they did with Gloomhaven, but they had the books facing each other. So you don't have to deal with the spiral bound nature of them. So the books kind of pressed up flat against each other and they did something cool there. And I think they've done this with some of the other storybooks as well, where you can kind of flip over the pages of some of the book and it'll change the scenery. It'll uncover stuff that wasn't there before, or maybe something happens like a natural disaster or something. And the scenery just ends up changing. So I thought that was kind of neat. And they said they didn't have a third book that they could add in for like extra flavor text or extra room if they needed it. So that's the basics. You're moving around in these spiral bound books, but the way the gameplay worked was the more interesting thing to me. So you have this deck of cards and they're these square cards and you put them in this three by three grid. So nine cards, and then you activate either the row or the column that you put it in and you would do all the actions. So if you put a really cool card in a spot, then you could combo with that next turn. You know, if you place in its row or column, now once a row or a column is filled up and you activate it, then you remove all those cards. So now you're just stuck with the, they have actions underneath of where the card spots go to. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to have one card in the middle of the thing and you're going to place another card and you'll activate the row with it. So you'll probably activate the middle card you already had, plus the card you played, plus one of these blank spots, but they're not blank. They actually have like miniature actions in them, which aren't as good as what your cards are going to give you. So I just think it's a really interesting combination. They might let you attack. They might let you range attack. They might let you move. But if you don't have any of those actions in your row or column, you just don't get to do those things. So you're activating a row and a column. And there was a way to deck build in there too, wasn't there? Yeah, you said that like after some missions, you'll get a new power card because most of the cards don't really have like text on them. They just have icons. And like Peter said, they can have range or give you defense or that kind of thing. But you get these like power cards that like while they're on your board, they give you ongoing bonuses, like ongoing uh, effects on your actions and that kind of thing. So there were multiple things you could level up. I don't remember all the details, but you could level up how many of those power cards you could like have in your deck. And then additionally, you could switch out which ones you use because you would unlock more than you could actually use in a given scenario. So it sounded like I wouldn't call it deck building, maybe like <laughs> vague deck construction, but certainly like nothing during the scenario. But it still sounds really cool. Like I, I like the fact that you would kind of be able to build out your character more because I already thought like you that the core card gameplay was excellent. Yeah, and you each had individual characters as well. So I was this like big turtle dragon looking, or no, I was a crocodile slash dragon looking guy. So my power card was not the only card in my deck that was different. My whole deck was different than everybody else's deck. Yeah, everybody had some basic moves or whatever else, but they definitely got better as the game went on. And I felt like as we were killing enemies, we were powering up a little bit as well, right? Yeah. Oh, they dropped tokens. Yeah, That's yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you built up a spirit, which 
So you had like several little dials that you could kind of build up over the turns, both through your actions and things you picked up from enemies. One basically gave you extra movement. If you needed like a little bit more movement to reach the enemy to attack, it could also boost some of your actions. The other one was mitigation would give you uh, re-rolls of your attack dice. Or not, actually, sorry, not re-rolls. It was a lot, it was kind of more like uh, like blacklist dice where you would have a symbol and you could spend the focus, uh, the yellow one, to uh, turn it into a success. So yeah, I, I thought I thought the core dice system was good. I thought I love the action system, like you said, Peter. I thought all the card play was excellent. It seems like something that would really keep me coming back and kind of keep the tactical picture interesting. And I thought the one scenario we played was interesting too. Like it had like a little bit of fun story stuff. Uh, like you said, the books were great, and then it had a, a more interesting objective in the second half of the scenario than the first half, where we were trying to like rescue people. So I thought all that worked really well. And they were saying that every scenario is going to be different. So we were rescuing people in that one scenario, but in other scenarios, you'll be doing different stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought this was really clever. I thought it was very quick to pick up and learn how to play, but very clever at the same time. So this one I'm super excited about. Me too. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, what was after that? The next thing I played was Trails. And I think you were probably with me. Yes. Although... Did I play Retrograde before that? Did you come over and look at that game Mechanica before we played Trails? I don't think I did. I think we separated for a little bit. Maybe we got lunch, something well, we like definitely that. played. Tra- well, I mean, I think we played Trails together. We'll go ahead and talk about Trails because you actually bought that one, Peter. So clearly you enjoyed it. So uh, this is designed by our friend uh, Henry. And it's kind of a, uh, I guess, a, <laughs> what would you call it? Like an offshoot, a sort of simplification of uh, his big hit Parks. Yep, exactly right. And so in parks, you're going to have multiple hikers. You go through each day, which is basically just a line of tiles, collecting resources, taking pictures as you go. This one, you only have one hiker on the board and you only go in, uh, you go in both directions and you kind of pass in each other as you go. So the way it works is you can move one or two tiles forward. Think of a game like, uh, what's that one where it's like the Zen one where you're walking down the path. Oh, yeah, that one's uh, Takedo. Oh, yeah, so it's kind of like that, except you can share spaces, so it's a little friendlier, and you're moving, and again, the spaces are super simple. It's collect a nut, collect a stone, or collect wood, and you're collecting these things to get these badges at the end of the row. So if you go all the way, you start on the, all the way on the left, you go all the way to the right of the row, and there might be a badge there that requires like three nuts and a stone or whatever else. So you're trying to collect those resources to pay for those things. Now you can only move one or two spaces, but you have this canteen, you flip it over and you can move as many spaces as you want. There's also a cool bear miniature that's on there. And once you love the bear, that's my favorite part of the game. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So when you land on the bear, you roll this bear dice and he'll move to a different spot. And whatever spot he moves to, you get the resources from that spot as well. So it's kind of like a helper bear. Uh, It's like, go fetch, go fetch Rover. Uh, He gets you different resources. He might take pictures for you. You never know because one of the spots is pictures. You spend a resource to get a picture card. And that was one of the coolest parts of the game, too, because you get these picture cards. They're not only worth victory points, but they'll have birds on them. And it's kind of a area majority thing where whoever has the most birds at the end of the game is going to score four extra points. Once you get to one end, the full right end of the track. So if you're starting on the left, you go all the way to the right. You are going to move the sundial down one. And basically that's the timer for the game. Every time you do this, you get some resources that the sun's pointing to, and then you move it to the left. As it moves past these different tiles, it's going to flip them over to their night side, which makes them better. So the place you would get a stone before, you'd get two stone now. So it's a very simple system, but a lot of 
interesting tactical choices that you're making on your turns. I, I really like this one a lot, obviously. And I showed it to my family literally the day I got back. I played it with my family and they absolutely loved it. So it was 20 bucks for the game. It was $10 for these resources instead of cubes, like these little screen printed meeples. It was really neat. My family really liked it. I really liked it. It's not going to be the most deep game you play, but if you're just in the mood for a quick, fun game, it's definitely that. Yeah, I thought it looked nice too. I thought it might be a little bit beyond my kids right now. Not not like the rules, but I don't know if they would get the strategy fully. And, you know, clearly it has, like, no theme whatsoever. That's why I was so attached to the bear meeple and, like, riding him around to get myself, like, nuts and, and wood and stuff. <laughs> but besides that, I definitely enjoyed the gameplay. I thought it was a fun little time. And I, and I think I crushed you guys with a score, like, 10 points higher than everybody else's. So clearly it's well designed. <laughs> yes, yes. It was, like, 30 to 20 or something. So, yeah. And I ended up beating my family pretty badly. But they still enjoyed it. And I still enjoyed it when I got beat. So I, I don't know that that matters. I think you're just going to have fun doing the things and it is a game you can get better at, but I think there is a certain skill cap and then you're going to either get lucky or not with some of these badges as well. So it's great for what it is for sure. And it's beautiful. Yeah, definitely a nice looking one. All right. I think we went over to Resonim games after that. And you were looking at Mechanica that like one with the like sort of machines that would puzzle slot in together. Yes. And I actually got to play uh, retrograde there. I talked about this a bit in my video, but this is a, real-time roll and write, and you're all rolling your own set of dice, and there is a selection of cards that will show two of the uh, colors of dice results, because each uh, die has the same results on it, and those are the only ones that you can basically use. So you're not only rolling your dice to try to, uh, you know, get pairs of values because it's kind of like space invaders theme like these enemies are coming down i mean they're not coming down they're just on your board and you're trying to shoot them for points but uh you need pairs of like you know pink to shoot a pink guy you need a pair of green dice to shoot a green guy but you can only do that if you grab the card that has pink and green on it that becomes the only dice that are kind of like usable for you now that's not entirely true you can use other dice for some other mitigatable things but that's uh basically i didn't play a competitive but that's what i kind of sense how the competitive goes because you can grab those cards at any time, but then you have to stop rolling. So basically, you're kind of pushing your luck, like, oh, man, is somebody else going to grab the same card I want, and that kind of a thing. One of the cool things is that you get, like, these upgrades from the cards. Whichever card you pick, it not only gives you colors, but it also gives you the chance to get an, a permanent upgrade later. Although you have to, like, do something extra to get that. Basically, you have to finish a row to get the permanent upgrades, which kind of goes against the way to score the most points. So it sort of encourages a different, like, spatial way of dealing with your enemies. Or you can uh, get like a meteor that lets you use any dice to do stuff. So it kind of gives you, again, some mitigation for your rolls. I forget what the third one was. But long story short, I thought the core gameplay was fun and quick. You know, I don't love roll and rights, but this one was uh, frenetic and, and I enjoyed the chaos. And the solo mode, you basically just play to see how high you can score. But you use uh, a phone, you know, just a timer on your phone for 25 seconds. And basically, if you go over that time, then you might lose the cards that you were looking for. It's kind of how they model the other players potentially grabbing the card you wanted. So yeah, I thought Retrograde was pretty fun. I think it's either coming to Kickstarter or retail uh, early next year, like January or February. Reminds me a bit of uh, something like Roll and Fight, the other real-time uh, competitive or uh, soloable Roll and Write game that I played. And uh, I thought it was uh, enjoyable. So speaking of real-time games, the next game I played was Kites. Did you play anything before that? No, this is one I wanted to talk about, too. This was, again, on my list. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. This is a, a fully cooperative game from, what is it, Floodgate Games? Is Floodgate, right? yep. Yeah, and I think this one I got the sense was just coming straight to retail, though maybe I'm wrong. You want to talk through how it plays, Peter? 
Yeah, so it's a real simple game. You basically have a deck of cards that you're trying to get through cooperatively, and the cards really just have colors on them. Some cards might have one color on them, some might have two, and they correspond to the seven sand timers that sit in front of you. I'm pretty sure it was six. I'm pretty sure it was the black one in five colors. Oh, that's it? Wow. Yeah, well, 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 think how hectic it was to deal with just those. I think any more, we would have exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way it works is if you play a card with whatever colors on it, you flip those sand timers over. So they all start laying down, and then you flip them face up. So if I play a card with a red and a green on it, I flip up the red and the green. And if you ever play a card with a single color, you can always turn the main game timer, which is a black sand timer, face upside down. And basically, you're just playing cards frenetically around the table. You have a hand of three cards. I play a card, then the next person plays a card, then the next person, next person eventually gets back to you and you keep playing these cards to flip the sand timers. But as you can imagine, sometimes you don't want to flip the sand timers. For example, if somebody just flipped it or if it's not even close to the bottom of the sand timer, but sometimes you don't have a choice because those are just the cards you have in your hand. And so you're basically flipping these sand timers over and over. You know, I do one, then you do one, then the next person. You're doing that, you're drawing cards. It's all this fast, frenetic pace because none of the sand timers are very long. And for example, if you get one of the shorter ones and it keeps going down and nobody has that color, you just got to play faster and faster until somebody draws that color. And the thing that I guess makes the game is once the last card is drawn from the deck, you can no longer turn that main game timer over anymore. So the one that doesn't have any cards associated with it, at that point, you are just going frenetically trying to get rid of all the cards in your hands before that black sand timer runs out. The one other wrinkle to the game is there's a tidal wave card. When somebody draws that into their hand, they have to say tidal wave or I guess it's not tidal wave because you're not it's kite. I think it was like a thunderstorm, wasn't it? Something. Yes, yes. Where basically <laughs> you have to flip every single sand timer over. Now you don't do it immediately. They announce it when they draw the card, but you have until it gets back to their hand until they have to execute that. But they have to execute that as their next card. So that throws a monkey wrench in things as well. It was fast. It was fun. It was very simple, very straightforward, but it seemed like they had some ways to increase difficulty, more of those heavy wind cards or whatever they were, and other ways to change difficulty as well. So it's the kind of fast, fun, frenetic game that you know I'm going to love. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I mean, I don't know how much staying power it'll have for me because it already reminded me a lot of something like Magic Maze with the kind of constantly flipping sand timers. And clearly, while Magic Maze is a little bit harder to get to the table, that one's more like directly cooperative and has a lot more legs to it with like the different varied uh, modules and things you can play with. Uh, This one I could see getting a little samey, but it it reminded me a lot of uh, something like a five minute dungeon. Like you're not going to play it like 10 times in a given night. You're not going to bust it out every time you play, but I, I wouldn't mind having it in my house and just throwing it down for a game night or just to play with the family every once in a while. And play it once or twice, get really tired, <laughs> and then, you know, just be done for a while. I think it's perfect for that. Well, I think it's going to depend greatly on what they do for variety in the game, because I agree with you. If that was all the game was, and that's all the game ever was, I think it would get samey and boring quickly. I'm really hoping, though, that they do something that makes it more interesting, that they have other things you can do. The core gameplay, the core loop is super fun. I'm hoping they have something else that goes along with it, though. At least, I I know they have stuff to increase and decrease challenge. I hope they have some things to vary it up as well. 
if not, I'm sure some people will come up with some fun house rules for it. Because I mean, even if you just had to like switch seats with somebody every time you played a blue card or something, you know, there's oh something <laughs> crazy like that, you know, it doesn't affect anything, but it affects a lot all at the same time. So I'm sure you could come up with some fun house rules for it. And I hope they're in the box for sure. All right, so that was Kites from Floodgate. Again, I think coming either to retail or Kickstarter, but not 100% sure, like in February or March. Yeah, no, so that was it for me until later that night where we did a whiskey thing. That's right. I, I guess we should start this the day before, or maybe even two years ago. Uh, <laughs> there was a whiskey event at one of the hotels in the area, and we ended up there. We got invited to this thing, which, I mean, it's not like it's private invites or anything. You just have to know somebody who knows it's going on and basically you show up there. So when we came in on Thursday night, I was like, wow, this is the hotel that had the whiskey thing. And I guess nobody else remembered that, but I remembered. And then when we went to the industry event, I'm like, oh, are we doing the whiskey thing this year? And everybody's like, no, no, we're not doing it this year, you know, whatever. And I was like, yes, we are. I'm doing it this year. So I kind of took the reins on that one and uh, started this event. I put it out to everybody in our discord. You know, I started having people spread the word. So, you know, when you get people like Jeremy and Bonacore spreading the word, it tends to get out there pretty good. So the following night, less than 24 hours later, we ended up doing a whiskey night and it was very successful. I mean, I don't know that the hotel could have held any more people than what we had. So yeah, well, it, that was the most challenging thing. People who wanted to play games were having a really hard time fighting tables, but that's that's a good problem to have. Well, and there was a, a group of people just sitting in the back, just drinking whiskey. So I think it was fine. Uh, I think I think everybody got out of that night what they wanted to. But the first game I played that night was Mega Man. What were you playing? Yeah, while you were teaching uh, Mega Man Adventures, which is our upcoming one from Blacklist, I played uh, Henry. He had a prototype with him. This is, again, Henry, the designer of Parks and Trails that we mentioned. (laughs) And just the the name of this game sold me. It's called Cosmoctopus, like uh, Cosmic Octopus. (laughs) Nice. And yeah, uh, it was very psychedelic art. And oh my gosh, Henry was like regaling us with this whole backstory, like sort of Cthulhu-esque, the inky realm that this Cosmoctopus was, you know, moving around through and like the cosmic ink is what powered its magic. And if if you like went into really deep water, you could transition into the inky realm. And I was just... (laughs) All right, so he did Parks and Cosmoctopus. Okay, this is totally not on brand (laughs) for what people might think of. That's hilarious. Well, and it isn't signed yet, right? So we're not going to spend too much time talking about it. Yeah, yeah, but it it was goofy. It was fun. Uh, It went a little bit long for me, and I had to uh, leave halfway through to say goodnight to my kids. So I didn't get to finish, but he got some good feedback on the game, and I think he's going to keep on working on it. There's uh, really some good engine building stuff in there. That's probably like the best part of the game, I would say right now. So yeah, well, maybe we'll see some more uh, cosmic octopus action uh, in the future. Or it'll get completely rethemed depending on what en- ever ends up. Yes, yes. It- it'll be uh, riding a bear through the forest or something like that. <laughs> so, and that's the other thing to realize. So for those of you who are designers out there, sometimes that happens during your playtest, right? People are gracious enough to give you their time, but sometimes they don't have all night to play. And sometimes they're just going to give you a little bit and that's okay. You kind of take what you can get. I think that's actually probably a good lesson for, for that group is just take what you can get and get your feedback and enjoy it for what it is. You said he got some good feedback. He told me he got great feedback at the end of the night too. He saw some things that weren't working exactly the way he wanted to. And that's just the point of getting playtests out there is just to see it in front of other people and see other people playing your game and where it breaks down. 
that's always the best part for me of playtest nights is just watching people's reactions. And when I realize the game's not going well, I have no problem cutting it off midstream myself, even if it's not something where they have to go do something. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good a little design, <laughs> non sequitur uh, connected topic in there. I'm trying to think what we played next. P- Peter got very, uh, very friendly with uh, the whiskey and everybody very quickly. So he, he yeah, was. I, I, I didn't play much the rest of the night after that. Uh, I played Mega Man and then we tried to play Astro Knights. Did you play anything before Astro Knights? Um, didn't no, you play I think a I th- dark game th- th- that that's Saturday. Uh, this is still Friday. Okay. Yeah, so we played Astronauts. I have a prototype of that. This is uh, coming to Kickstarter January 25th by the current schedule. This is from Indie Board and Card. It is basically a follow-up to Aeon's End. It uses like 95% of the same mechanics, but it's like sci-fi themed, and they made some things more streamlined. They made a lot of things quicker, quicker setup, that sort of thing. Yeah, Peter tried to play, and Henry tried to play. And uh, if you're played with uh, two uh, people who uh, are a little bit into their whiskey... Learning a new game that you only somewhat know the rules to. It's a, it's a lovely experience. I recommend it strongly to everybody. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, whiskey game night, it's not the best night to learn new games. That is for sure. It is definitely the kind of night that you want to play like The Mind and Similo and games like that. That's that's the level of game. Actually, that's where I learned just one for the first time was the whiskey night a couple of years ago. So I think it's perfect for that kind of stuff. Trying to get heavy Euro games to the table, which, by the way, Astronauts is none of those things. But, you know, trying to get heavier or first time games at the table while having a whiskey night is not necessarily the vibe. So Henry and Peter and I are playing Astronauts. Henry and Peter are like verbally sparring and fighting with each other the entire time. Finally, Isaac Childress, <laughs> designer of Gloomhaven <laughs> and Frosthaven, comes over. Uh, Peter and he have sort of a uh, running like... A, they really like to both play Gaia Project. So I was just like, hey, Peter, you want to play Gaia Project, right? And Peter is like destroyed. <laughs> he can like barely speak without slurring every sentence. And he's like, yeah, man, I'll play Gaia Project. So Peter just like walks away from Astronite. I let him go because clearly uh, the game's not going better with his involvement at that point. And uh, <laughs> some other random person that was nearby and had been watching took his place. And the game uh, concluded swimmingly. I, I really enjoy Astronites. So that that went great. And and Peter, I heard that uh, despite your state, you almost beat Isaac at uh, Gaia Project, right? So it was a good night overall. Well, yeah. So I went over and I started playing Gaia Project. It's one of his favorite games. It's one of my favorite games. I'm like, we have to play Gaia Project at one point. He just picked a very interesting time to come get me to play Gaia Project. It was one in the morning. First of all, after a full day of convention, after a full day of work the day before and driving up and then going to this other thing the night before and then playing games till late. Now it is 1 a.m. and we just started playing. Actually, the first game I ever played with Isaac was before Gloomhaven ever came out. It was Food Chain Magnate. I believe we started that at 1 to 3 in the morning. I can't remember and didn't get done till like 5 in the morning. It was ridiculous. So this is not the first time Isaac and I have spent a late night playing games. But uh, yeah, we started Gaia Project. And I will say I wasn't doing very well at the beginning. Isaac kept complaining that the races aren't balanced. And so I actually took the one he thought was the weakest race in the game. But the planet setup was pretty good. I'm not going to bore people with all the details. But bottom line is I was winning for a decent portion of the game, even though winning early doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot in games like this. Because, you know, we had 30 points and the end scores were like 100. 150 to 140 or whatever. So I came very close. 
I forgot Isaac's power in the last turn of the game. And so I left this space open one turn longer than I should have. And when he took it, I was so mad at myself for forgetting that his special power let him get these green ice CQ cubes that it doesn't matter. Bottom line is I forgot he could do something. He did it. And it was like a 20 point swing and he ended up beating me by 10 points. So I was very upset at myself the rest of the night kicking myself. But we had a great time. That was the first time I ever played with him. He took what he said was one of the most strong races. I took the one he said was the weakest. And uh, I was still within 10 points. In the state I was in, it was pretty amazing. So I'm not going to complain there. And what I love about this is that uh, when I talked to Peter the next morning, and I was like, hey, how'd you do in Guy Project? He, He told me all the details he just told all of you. When I was like, yeah, but uh, Astronauts, we, we won after you left the game halfway through. And he's like, I played Astronauts? <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I will say my night got better as it went along because I did stop drinking at the point I started playing Gaia Project. But that was uh, Saturday night. No, that was Friday night, Peter. Friday night. Oh, see, my God. See, you're, you're losing days now. <laughs> well, I did lose the next day because the next day I got up. And I ate some beef jerky I had brought with me because I'm trying to stay no carbs. Oh, I forgot and about my this. entire face blew up. His <laughs> lips. So if you watch Peter on like the stream or whatever, Peter, Peter already has like full lips. And uh, then <laughs> he was like, Mike, he pulled down his mask. But we were outside. He's like, Mike, do my lips look OK? And it was like taking over half his face. I was like, no, that that doesn't look right. <laughs> that That's that's wrong. <laughs> that's not supposed to be like that. But I wasn't playing many games because you went and played um, something that morning. I was supposed to join you with the um, the Plaid Hat game. We'll get to that in a second. But instead of joining you for that, I did not join you because it was a long night the night before. I was up and ready to go, but Jeremy Howard wanted to jump in. So I didn't mind giving up my spot for Jeremy to do that. But that was going to be my day to walk the hall because I didn't really do that at all on Friday. I mean, we did it a little bit, but I really wanted to walk up and down every aisle and every row and kind of see everything that was there. But I ended up getting an allergic reaction. And so I had to go get some Benadryl and I didn't know what to get. So I'm talking to the people at CVS. I'm like, I have no idea. And they told me exactly what to get. So I did. But they had none that was non-drowsy. So I literally ended up taking two of these like full strength Benadryls. Yeah. Yeah. That day was uh, it was very tired. Yeah, this was definitely a bumper con for Peter's uh, full awareness and consciousness. (laughs) Yes, but uh, I saw some stuff. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But what did you end up seeing and playing on Saturday? Well, man, so Saturday was super busy. So Peter doesn't make appointments with anybody. He just like shows up and play things, which I'll say works totally fine. I'm not saying like there's anything wrong with that. But I make appointments <laughs> left and right. So I like had made the one to play Tidal Blades 2, which in my defense, we would not have played that if I had not done that. So I, yes. I have no regrets there whatsoever. But yeah, Saturday, the entire day was filled. I think I had eight or nine different meetings that day. So I started with, thank you, Will, the Hungry Gamer. I check out his channel. He's the one who was like, hey, do you want to play the new Plaid Hat game? Uh, which became my game of the con, uh, Familiar Tales. This is a uh, play-in-a-book adventure game, just like Tidal Blades 2 we already mentioned. But, uh, f- you know, Plat Hat's already done Mice and Mystics, Aftermath, uh, Stuff Fables, and Comanauts with the same kind of system. And this is the newest one. And for my money, from what I played, the best one. The theme is great. You are all trying to rescue, like, a baby princess. It's very, like, Willow-themed. You're, like, wizard familiars, like these different magical creatures. The card play, it's a deck builder, although you don't build your deck that often, so you tend to use the same deck a lot. 
but it has really interesting card play and how you play out for tests and you roll a die to like modify. But if you play enough cards, you can make sure you never fail. You play cards for movement, you play cards to attack, you play cards to forage. The cards uh, key off of icons on your items and you can build the items with the stuff you forage. So you got some really like really nice synergies there as you like level up. You've got branching storylines. You play through three eras as the little girl you're protecting grows up. They've got a fully narrated uh, web app, just like they had for Forgotten Waters. Same basic technology. They have uh, what looks like a really good rule book and a full rules glossary because I know one of our main complaints for Aftermath was the rule book. And yeah, this uh, it, it's in some ways a fairly standard kind of dungeon crawler adventure game. But the theme and the deck building play and the app uh, just really, really blew me away. Uh, so this one is definitely one to look out for. And this one is uh, just up for pre-order. I think like it's basically done. They're printing it right now, I believe. So if you pre-order it now, you'll get it uh, probably pretty early in 2022. So yeah, Familiar Tales. Uh, Peter didn't get to play it, but he got to look at it and kind of hear the pitch and talk to Jerry Hawthorne, the designer, for a while. So what do you think of it, Peter? Yeah, so that was part of my walking around part of the day on Saturday. So I went to every booth and certainly every booth where you told me there was something good. I spent a lot of time talking to Jerry and we did schedule to play a demo the next day or he took my card. They were going to email me to schedule. It never ended up happening. It was fine. I literally spent like 45 minutes with him at the booth going through everything. The only thing I didn't get to do was play the game. Some things that were interesting to me beside what you had mentioned was I thought it was interesting that at lower player count, you'd actually mash the decks together rather than controlling all the different characters with all, you know, each of them having their own deck. You just mash the the decks together and draw a hand of cards up. And then it didn't matter whose card you were playing. You were controlling this character on this turn. You'd play the cards to affect that character. And the things were like move, melee attack, or range attack. So you're basically just adding up numbers on there. And as we talked about, you got to modify our dice to affect the combat rolls. But it was fairly straightforward. It seemed a lot like those other games to me. I'm sorry, Mike. How much did you talk about the app? I mean, I, I said that it was fully narrated. I said that it had like a rules glossary. Yeah, that's the part that stood out to me was the full narration. And the narration was really good. So I did play around with the app and actually anybody can play around with the app. It's on the Plaid Hat website now. So if you want to hear the intro story, you can go right to Plaid Hat right now and just check out that app. It is really good. It's interesting the way they do apps because they do them all web-based. So they're not even really technically apps. It's just a website that you go to and anybody can go there. And I was kind of curious how the save would work. But when I load that web page back up, for some reason, I don't know if it knows my IP or what, but it knows where I was in the game. And that's one of the interesting parts too, is you can stop whenever you want and it'll save it. But if you don't trust that, which I don't necessarily trust, and or if you don't trust the person to bring it with you, right? Because we're playing Descent with Jerry. And the reason we haven't finished our campaign is Jerry never brings his iPad over when he comes over. But the way this app works is you just put in a number and it knows exactly where you are in the campaign. Because I don't think it's tracking all the information, right? It's just tracking where you are in the story itself and what's happened. Well, right, because you you keep your decks together. That's one of the other nice things. Like your deck just keeps on getting built and keeps on kind of evolving and changing. It's not like a lot of these games where like kind of you build it up for each scenario, build it up for each mission, then it goes back to basics. So yeah, like, I mean, tearing it down, like after you finish a scenario is pretty much just like putting your stuff in a box. And you're done. <laughs> like, put my loot in a box, put my deck in a box. Done. Ready ready to play next time, as long as you just save where you are on the app. So it's pretty awesome how they kind of, like, give you the flexibility to stop whenever you want. Because it sounds like it's a really long adventure to get through the whole thing. Well, yeah, and that's what I was getting, too. And it seems like you can kind of pause whenever you want. 
like wherever you are in the story and just kind of pick it back up next time you're ready to go. So I guess that's really nice where you can make the sessions as shorter as long as you want. I'm sure you're not going to stop in the middle of a page, right? It is one of these storybook pages. If you played Aftermath or any of the other ones they've done in the past, it's very similar to that. So you're probably not going to stop mid page, but I'm guessing between any of the pages, you could stop at any point. And the app did seem very good and very friendly. We'll talk more about this one at the end, I'm sure, because I'm sure it'll be near the top of your list. But I was curious to get more into it and to play it more. But everyone who played it seemed to love it. So, you know, that's high praise. Yeah, I mean, I played with Will again and with Jeremy Howard again. We were clearly hanging out a lot. <laughs> and yeah, we, we, we had a total, total blast. Well, while you were doing that, the game I ended up playing was almost just as good. It was called Charmed and Dangerous. No, <sighs> Peter's lying to you all, but go ahead, Peter. Tell him about it. Tell him about it. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, interesting is an interesting word, I guess. It was a a card game, uh, which I hadn't heard of before. The base set's called The Sisters Grimm. I'm trying to find the publisher of it. Third World Studios is the publisher. I just looked it up. And it, it it is rated on BGG as well as I thought it might be. Actually, maybe even a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, you are going to play a storybook heroine like Gretel, but you are also combining that with an RPG class. So, for example, Gretel was the barbarian. Snow White was the ranger. Cinderella was the paladin or the healer, the cleric. So they each have their own different classes. And basically the way it works is you are playing cards to overcome challenges in front of you. You have a nine card grid, three by three. You flip one over, you play a card, see if, you know, to see if you can match icons to overcome it. If you can, you'll probably acquire that card to boost up your skills and just keep going. If that sounds interesting, then I made it sound more interesting than it was. <laughs> this is not a great, a great game. It, it, it was fine. It was fine. But it was a weird combination of like empowering women. And then the artwork was not empowering of the women. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, a weird, I, I don't know. It, it was a weird combination. The game was fine. I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fine. Fine. Just fine. But I have another game to talk about next, which we didn't get to play, but I had a lot of fun looking at and talking to them about. But did you play anything else during the day? I played a lot uh, else during the... Well, actually, you know what? Wait, did I? I might be lying. (laughs) Let me see. Uh, Here, let me run through the list real quick. So I went to Inside Up and I saw Summit and I think it's called like City Builder, but didn't play either of them. It looked okay. I met with uh, White Wizard. Oh, you know what? I did play a competitive game with White Wizard. Uh, This one's pretty fun, but you know, it's competitive, so I'll be quick. Robot Quest Arena. This one is coming up from them. It's a deck builder because White Wizard definitely loves their deck builders. But it's a uh, sort of robo-rally, like arena-esque game. And also kind of like Adrenaline, Peter, that you mentioned earlier from Czech Games. You uh, deck build like weapons and movement cards in your hand. And your basic money uh, resource batteries is also what you use to move orthogonally around this like uh, square-based board. And there's like terrain that you can push people into because if you run into somebody, you push them. You can slam them into walls to do damage. Uh, there's like special tiles on the board to like heal you or get you more money and that kind of stuff. There were like a couple of broken cards that I talked to them about and they seem to agree with me. So I think they'll probably be able to fix those. Besides that, this was a lot of fun. I played a four player game and then on Sunday I taught a game because like all of their demoers were busy and there was a group just waiting. So I was like, I can teach it to you. And you know, they, they seem to think that was a little bit weird, but I, I am a little bit weird. So that's okay. <laughs> I teach a lot of games, so <laughs> I don't mind. But yeah, so I, I enjoy this one. I'll definitely be looking out for it, like maybe for my son, since it's got really cute, blocky robot minis. So yeah, again, that's uh, Robot Quest Arena. 
But besides that, I was talking to White Wizard about Hero Realms Dungeons, which is basically like a slight offshoot and kind of riff off of their cooperative campaign mode. Except this one, you go through just a campaign without any branching. But it's like a full like level from zero to hero, like a bunch. I think it's like 12 in a row. They have some new heroes in there that look pretty good. So for those uh, Hero Realms fans, that was cool. And then I also got to look at Kapow, which they're supposed to be sending me a uh, prototype of the solo mode. This one already kickstarted and be checking that out. That's like a dice-based sort of superhero battling 1v1 game. And you like build little combos with your dice. Looks like your choices are pretty interesting. And the automa looks super smooth in how it works. No, you know what? I, I didn't play anything else. So did you play anything else, Peter? Because I can talk about other places I went, but why don't you talk about what you played? Well, I didn't play this, but I got a pretty thorough run through of The Adventures of Robin Hood by Cosmos. So this is basically a storybook game. And I mean, there is a board, but really the storybook, I mean, it is a book. It is a hardbound, full 300 and some, maybe 500 and some page book. And not like mini text either. This is a book book. So know what you're getting into here. It is definitely a storybook game, but with a cool theme and gimmick and board. So you start off not knowing anything about what's going on. And through the first mission, you kind of learn more about the game and the mechanics. There was a lot of comparisons to what's that one where you learn the game as you play it? Oh, uh, Legends of Andor. Legend of Andor. There was that's, a lot of the same publisher, so it makes sense. Okay, but this is definitely more story based. But the movement system was kind of interesting. You had these short movement sticks and a long movement stick. And so you're trying to go from location to location on the board. So you just have a meeple and you're measuring between these locations with these movement sticks. If you use your run, then you get more tired. So you add a miss cube to the bag. And if you use just the shorts, then you add a hit cube to the bag. And when you're doing combat, you're just drawing out of this bag. So the more fatigued you are, the more likely you are to miss during combat. Again, none of this is super like you know, strategy, whatever here. It is all about the story from what I saw about it. Now, I didn't get to play it at all, but I know they're going to be sending us something soon. So I look forward to covering it. I know you're going to like this game more than I do. I wish they had some kind of an app that read to you, but I can't imagine finding somebody to narrate a whole huge book would be interesting. But the coolest (laughs) part of the game to me was the different spots you could go to on the board. They literally had pullout, almost like a pop-up book where you'd like flip up part of the book and something might be underneath, but you could pull these tokens out of the board and flip them upside down, or they might have stuff under them that, you know, you would just leave there. You leave the pop-up thing out, or, you know, maybe there are different stages. So the board changes as you played as well. And so you're going to these different locations, but the locations may change. People there may change. It's all kinds of surprises that happen to you. But again, it's really, from what I could tell, more about the book than anything. Although we didn't get to try it. There was supposed to be one in the library, but we never found it. Yeah, I think Jason is covering that one for us. So hopefully he'll enjoy it. I know he likes those narrative games and I tend to as well. So I might get it for uh, me and my kids. I think we saw the next two ones together, Peter, before we finished for the day, because uh, you, you were there with me to look at uh, Ascension Tactics, right? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. That looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks so good. <laughs> and, and I did email them, and I think we're like officially on the list for a review copy, so we, we'll be playing that some uh, hopefully soon. Well, they called you Sunday and told you to come pick it up, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we're on the road. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping ahead. We're on the road uh, back from Philadelphia. We left a little bit early because we wanted to see our families. It's like we're an hour into the two-hour drive. And then uh, I get an email from the guys like, hey, I got, a, I got a retail copy, which mystified us because he had been like, yeah, there's no copies even like in the country yet. But I guess they had brought a couple. So he's like, yeah, come pick it up. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, we're gone, dude. 
Well, they have a TTS mod, so maybe we'll get it up on the stream channel sooner than later. We can contact them again. They said they give us access to it. So maybe we'll play co-op on the TTS mod if they've got the co-op implemented there. Yeah, but to quickly explain, so this is a uh, a tactical game that's an offshoot from Ascension, the uh, deck building game. And uh, it is competitive, but you can also play solo or co-op, uh, two-player co-op, uh, like sort of uh, two players versus one powered up enemy. And yeah, it, it has like a lot of the same look and feel of the Ascension games and the same resources. The big difference, if you know Ascension, cards will either generate like money or attack, basically. And in Ascension, you would uh, actually hit these monsters to gain victory points. But in Ascension Tactics, the attack goes to you have a certain number of units on the board. And you spend enough attack, you get to activate those units. They can move uh, usually three spaces. A lot of it is kind of area control. You're trying to get next to these uh, area control points to have the like most dominance of them. But then you can also attack each other and kill each other's units. It just looked like a really cool riff on things. I already like deck building. And the way that they use deck building to kind of combo with activating your units looked really unique. So uh, Peter and I didn't play it, but apparently the co-op, uh, you can do uh, a campaign mode, solo or co-op, where you uh, take you pick like one house and kind of progress through and level up and like get new units and stuff. Or you can just play one off a uh, solo or co-op, uh, two player co-op. So very, very excited to get this one to the table. And Peter's probably even more excited because as much as I like deck builders, I think he likes tactical games even more. Yeah, and there is deck building. That's the one important thing to realize here. It plays just like Ascension outside of the fact that instead of just doing a normal attack, you are using those points to activate your units on the board. So you can even recruit new units to add permanently, or you could boost up the units you already have on the board. So there's some pretty neat stuff that you could do with the game from what we could tell. We did see how the AI worked as well. So he talked us through a lot, quite a bit of it, and I'm very excited to play it. It seemed like there was a lot of thought put into not just the competitive game, but the co-op game as well. I think literally the, the copies are being unloaded now, or I, th- I think it should be delivering to backers very soon. So that one should be in retail pretty shortly. And uh, then Peter and I went uh, very quickly to another booth and uh, a very exciting game that we also didn't get to play, but got to hear a lot about. And that is uh, Jurassic World Legacy of Isla Nublar, I think is the full title. This is from Funko and uh, designed by Prospero Hall. Uh, Peter, I think your uh, son is the biggest Jurassic Park fan out of all of us. So uh, tell us about this one. Yeah, I, I took a bunch of pictures, and they're all up on our Discord, by the way. And and that's the other thing. The Whiskey Night, if you're interested in something like that, I told everybody on our Discord about that. So we had a PAX channel specifically, so that's how we were all contacting each other. But every picture from PAX I put up on there, I didn't take as many as I did for Origins, but I took a lot of pictures of this game. And there were some neat features about it. Well, the first thing we noticed when we sat down was there's a Velociraptor claw on the table, which is not a real one. It was a plastic one. We're like, what's this for? They're like, oh, it's for scratching off stuff on the character cards themselves. So the character cards, you know, if you've ever played Pandemic Legacy or whatever else, they have those scratch off spots. The thing that always bugs me is I never have everything to scratch it off with. Well, this comes with this like cool Velociraptor claw for the sole purpose of just scratching off the stuff on your character cards. So I thought that was pretty neat. But the game itself, it starts with four dinosaurs. You get Brontosaurus, Triceratops, Raptors, and a T-Rex. Pretty sure that's a Brachiosaurus, Peter. Brachiosaurus. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. How dare you? (laughs) If I said that in front of my son, I would get the same reaction, but maybe more harsh. He is a teenager. You never know. You start with this basically blank board in front of you, but then you're going to build up your park as you go. I didn't get a huge feel for how the game would play 
But I mean, you're going to be putting stickers on the board. You're going to be building up this park. Your decisions are going to be permanent, right? You know, that's what makes it a legacy game. You're putting stickers on. You're going to be developing new types of dinosaurs. I don't know. I didn't get a great feel for this one. They were certainly pushing the bling more than gameplay because I don't think we saw any real gameplay stuff in it. I mean, like they showed us the turn reference cards with like the actions so you can herd dinosaurs away from like predators that might eat them. The dinosaurs kind of activate by area and you can actually spend actions to like find out what they're going to do. Although I I don't know you, Peter, the second I heard that I was like, I would never spend an action in one of these games to find out how the AI is going to hurt me when I can't do anything to really change it anyway. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, I'd rather yeah. move to a spot they couldn't hurt right, me. Right, exactly. Like, spend I'd rather an action get away to... from the T-Rex than like, spend an action being like, oh, he is coming to eat me. Uh, but besides that, like the actions look pretty interesting. They have like locations you can go into, like the visitor center. And there's like little puzzles you can do, but like the Velociraptors might be hunting you while you're trying to like, uh, you know, hack the internet to open all the doors because Nedry screwed everything up. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say if it's going to be a good game, but it certainly was a great pitch. And I'm very excited about trying it out and seeing how things go. And this is the team that brought you horrified in games like that. I remember now, I don't remember much about this. I was way into my Benadryl at this point. That's true. Yes, you are. <laughs> I was like trying to stay awake. I mean, I felt so bad because this was like the hottest game of the convention. It was all hyped up, but my Benadryl had definitely fully kicked in and it was coming down off of being so excited about Ascension Tactics that, I mean, unless they literally had a dinosaur roaring in my ear, I think it was going <laughs> to be hard to keep me uh, focused during this one. This was the last thing we did of the day. It was a long day again after a late night the night before. It seemed interesting, but again, like a lot of their games, I don't think it's going to be the most deep, the most heavy gameplay experience. It seems like it's going to be actually pretty light. I think the kitsch itself is what's going to sell it. The fact that you're starting at the original Jurassic Park and it goes all the way through the Jurassic World stuff. So they've got different pictures on the front, but you're always on this one island, Isla Nubar, where the park is and you're constantly changing and evolving and it's changing, evolving with you. You're going to get new characters. You're going to lose characters. I mean, I'm clearly going to get it. They've already got my $120, which is what I heard it's going to cost for it on Kickstarter. There's no question about that but only because my son is huge into Jurassic Park. If it was me, I've been burned enough by Funko's games that I I don't know. I know this game is being hyped, and I'm certainly excited to try it, but I don't know. I've been burned by enough of their games that I was super excited about Wonder Woman too. Horrified is certainly the best thing they've done, but I love tactical games, and I didn't love the Funko one as much as I like some of the other ones that are out there. So Their games haven't always been hits for me, so this wouldn't be an auto back. And, you know, again, I I was halfway dazed during this pitch, but I don't know. I'm I'm in wait and see mode, even though I'm certainly going to buy it. Wait, did you say $120? That's what I heard. Wow. I mean, if if that's the case, that definitely uh, lowers my excitement a little bit, (laughs) especially for a legacy game. Although I I will say, uh, I don't know if you remember them saying this, Peter, but This is a legacy game, kind of like Risk Legacy, I know, did this and some of the other ones, where when you're done, you are left with some sort of replayable experience that uses like the unique uh, setup and choices you've made to kind of create your own experience. So it is not Pandemic Legacy, where you can either like hang the board up or burn it in the trash. When you're done, you can apparently keep playing the game infinitely when you're done and you'll have a version of the game that is unique from everybody else's versions based on the choices you made and like where your buildings got placed down and that kind of stuff. So that makes the value a little bit better, but man, that's a lot. 
And I'm not 100% positive about that price. I can't remember where I heard it. So take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. And I hope it's good. Don't get me wrong. I really hope it's good. I mean, again, we didn't see enough of it to know one way or another. All right. And uh, that was it for the convention. That was kind of our last thing. We wandered around a bit more after that. Well, I was barely conscious at this point. So I said I was going to go back and take a nap. So we went back. Yeah, we played a bunch that night. Right. And I never took a nap, by the way. I did take more Benadryl because my lips were still swollen, but I never took a nap. So I was like, all right, when people get here, I'll take my nap. So you and I played Astronauts first. So this was my first experience with it. And let me tell you, it's freaking awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's great. <laughs> I like Aeon's End, and I like this way better. I don't know. The only thing that makes Aeon's End better at this point is there's just way more content. Yes. Well, the, the prototype I have is very light on cards, and I'm assuming, knowing indie boards and cards, what they've done with other Kickstarters, that by the time the Kickstarter is done, we'll be getting a heck of a lot more stuff than this, and they'll probably have like five expansions. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, it's a small box. It looks like it would be very inexpensive game with a decent amount of content for what you're getting. The problem is, I don't know how long that content would last. So if they're doing it as a Kickstarter, I'm almost more excited because I know they're going to throw more content in and on top of it. So here are the things, the two things that stood out for me that made it better than regular Aeon's End. Number one, instead of getting like 10 decks of cards that are fixed, you get six decks of cards that are like shuffled and a different cards on top of each of them. So you get three different attack cards, basically, if you know Aeon's End. You get two money cards and you get one kind of miscellaneous deck of cards. And so you have these six decks of cards, but you buy one of them, the card under it isn't the same, which is the way it is for Aeon's End. It's different. So you cycle through these different cards, which Number one is a huge benefit for me. First of all, for setup, you don't have to look through to find all these cards and get the exact number or whatever else. You just pull out your deck, you shuffle it up, you put it on the table. So that was great. The other thing I liked about it is your town has its own unique ability, which was really cool. So you could charge up the town, not just charge up your own character. And then they streamlined some of the stuff for your characters as well. Just setup was so much faster. Oh, that's what it was, the enemy deck. The enemy has environment cards and its own cards and you shuffle them together. Well, yeah, it depends on the enemy, but pretty much every one that we have in the prototype has like a unique deck that does something cool, like that gets called for by its powers or by its cards. But yeah, the key thing is like their main deck that you draw one card from whenever they activate, like in the Korean's end, instead of like taking a bunch of level one, level twos and level threes and like shuffling them and maybe taking some out and some of them are like unique to the boss and then like stacking them on top of each other. You just take like the boss, like they have six cards or eight cards and you shuffle them. Done. <laughs> like that's, that's the entire setup for the boss. But they still power up and level up because every time they go yes. through their deck, yes. they increase in level and those cards become more and more powerful. And it's also an auto loss timer if you let them level up too much. So you you, you can't, uh, not that this happens too often in Aeon's End, but you can't kind of have like games that sort of drag to a halter where you build up too long. Like you need to rush and get things going to win. Yeah, so for me, Everything was better about it than normal Aeon's End, although 90% of the mechanics and everything else were exactly the same. It's a weird combination of being exactly the same, but in my mind, all the changes they made were for the better. And the only thing I'm worried about is not enough content, but I'm sure that won't be an issue for long for it. Yeah, the only weird thing on my part, now I don't own as much Aeon's End as you, but it's like people who own a ton of Aeon's End. I don't know if you'd buy this. I guess you might. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I, from what I've played so far, I would rather play this than Aeon's End. The only thing Aeon's End has on it, 
first of all, the new expansion looks awesome, like the, with all the crazy legacy stuff. But the other thing is, I really like the expedition mode in Aeon's End that came with New Age and Outcasts, where you like slowly fine tune the market and uh, the bosses like level up across multiple games, and your characters get treasures. So I think that mode is really neat. And if they eventually add something like that in Astronauts, then boom, you know, it has everything I would want <laughs> in uh, this set of games. I mean, it feels like they're building it as a replacement. And so I can't imagine they don't add in all that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Because I think they've definitely built this huge legacy thing as the end of the series. So right. what's the best way to make some money? Take 90% of the design, do some new stuff that makes it, you know, maybe fixes some issues some players might have had with it. And start selling to them again. <laughs> and, and I'm not even judging them for that because I, I liked it, you know, and that, that's their choice. And if, if you own a tons of Aeon's End, no reason to buy this if you don't want to. Just keep what you got. Well, and I stopped buying Aeon's End after the first two expansions, so I've never even played any of that campaign stuff. But I'm glad I didn't keep buying it because I'm certainly going to get into Astro Knights for sure. It feels like the evolution of the system that I want it to be. So you and I played that two-player. And then who came over? Will next? Yeah, oh, and we played uh, Beast, right? Oh, no, you and I played Similo while waiting for Will. That's right, so we played that two-player, because, again, I was just going to play until somebody showed up. So you and I played some Similo, and then you and I started playing The Mind. Yes, and we had a great... Yeah, so Will was setting up this game called Beast. We'll get to that in a second. But, yeah, while, while he was setting up the prototype, we played a two-player The Mind, and that, that was a great game in The Mind. We We were almost perfect almost the entire time, and we won the entire game. Yeah, I think we only lost one life... By the time we got to level 12, I think we did lose two on level 12. We lost one more, so we lost two total for the entire game. Okay, yeah. I mean, we were on fire that night. I don't know if it was the uh, Benadryl slowing me down or what, because I did end up taking another Benadryl when I got back, I think I said. So, yeah, I mean, I was if I was out of it before, I was way out of it now. And I was literally just planning on chilling out. But, yeah, that never ended up happening because right after we played The Mind, I think we played So Clover before we actually played The Beast. No, 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 because he was setting up Beast while we played The Mind. And then right. so, and Steve wasn't even there yet. And then we played with Steve uh, So Clover. Oh, after. you're right. You're right. We did play The Beast first. All right. So... Talk about the Beast. It's a hidden movement game, right? I think it's just Beast. Yeah, so this is only uh, competitive, and you remind me a lot of Fury of Dracula, and uh, kind of the theme is like sort of like dark medieval-ish kind of thing with supernatural creatures. Got one player playing the creature that is both the most dangerous thing on the board, but also vulnerable to all these hunters. So like very, very Fury of Dracula vibes, except we played the whole game even with learning in like an hour to an hour and a half, and Fury of Dracula, <laughs> you're lucky if that game is finished in like three hours. The big caveat with this one is that we played a lot of rules wrong and important rules wrong. Like we didn't see that my ca- I was playing as like the the hunted beast that's trying to get my objectives. We didn't see that my character only levels up at the end of each day, like at the end of each like full round of the game. So I leveled up in the beginning and got like a bunch of bonuses from those level ups that I would not have had which let me get away from the hunters, which let me uh, get some kills because uh, in the mission we were doing, I had to kill some uh, civilians, like eat them because I was a big like super wolf <laughs> to uh, to win. And also uh, Peter and uh, Will made some bad tactical errors. Uh, one of the biggest one is I can like summon these little mini wolves and they just left one while it killed, I think two different civilians out of the three I needed to win. By the way, they didn't leave them. I'm just going to point that out. Will, Will. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah, actually, Will Will literally was next to the wolf. Could have The entire game. And I was literally on the other side of the board. That's what I was going to say. You were on the other side of the board. He was next to the wolf. Could have punched it with minimal effort. He teleported to Peter. He had a card that teleported him away from the wolf. And I was like, 
Thank you very much. And I continued to eat all the people in that town. Well, it was like, ah, that town doesn't matter. We don't like them anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was interesting because one of the big mistakes that we made for our side was you could discard any card to move. And at the beginning of the game, it's not a long game. As Mike pointed out, we started in places kind of on the outsides of the board and you could go whichever way you wanted and you just beelined right away from me. So I didn't even at the, by the end of the first turn, and I think this game only lasted two to three turns. I had made it to the midpoint of the board, but I was not even close to you even by the end of the first act. Now, if we had played correctly where you could discard cards to move, like I just wasted a lot of actions because I didn't know what to do. Oh yeah. Y- y'all definitely would have caught me and probably hit me at least once. And I would not have. Yeah. So oh, I hit you once. I got you right, once. You did hit me once. But anyway, I would love to play this one again. Uh, I don't know if Will yes. can send me his prototype or if I can find the retail copy. Uh, clearly, we can't cover it for one-stop co-op shop, but I'm a big fan of hidden movement games. And while the game we played was not a great experience, I won way too easily, we recognized pretty quickly the multitude of things <laughs> that we had done wrong that would have made it a better experience and a more balanced experience. This was a con experience game for sure. A con experience being... You pick up a game that day, you're super excited to play it, you read the rules quickly, miss like 20 of the rules in the game, <laughs> and just set it up and try to teach it after only having read it, never moved any pieces around yourself or anything else. You're just kind of trying to read through the rule book as we're learning the game. It was definitely a con game for sure. Yeah, and like Will, I don't think it played it before. We still had, it was a prototype, so we had like a printed rule book on like paper that was single-sided. It was like really a hassle to get through it. So yeah, so the the fact that I'm really excited about it and want to play it more is certainly a good sign. So I'll try to check this one out later. And I'm not much of a fan of hidden movement games, but I did enjoy myself. I'm curious to see how the balance is when we play correctly, because that game for sure was not close. Yeah, and something we didn't mention is that there's like some cool card play. Each uh, hero and each of the monsters, or several monsters, has like a fully unique deck. The cards usually give you like options, and like Peter said, you can discard any card to move. So I, I thought there was a lot of uh, neat stuff going on here. I know, I know this was co- covered by I think like Quackalope and Board Game Co. I'd seen uh, videos from them when the game came out. I kind of ignored it because it's competitive, and I don't kickstart games that are competitive anymore generally. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really glad that Will uh, brought the prototype and we got to play it. Cool. So after that, as we mentioned, we played So Clover. This is one I got excited about at Origins, talked a little bit about it because I had seen it, but I had never played it. And some of our friends there had ended up picking it up. And so we borrowed it from them. So it's a word type game where you each get a clover board in front of you with four different sides. And you have four square cards that you place in the middle in a specific orientation. So they they form a square, and then there are two words facing each side of this clover board, and you have a dry erase marker that you write something that connects those two words. So for example, if you had the words seashell and bikini, maybe you put the word beach down, and you hope that they get the word beach from those two words. So you write all four on the outside, and then you take those four cards, and those four cards, which are square, have words on every side. So they're having to figure out not only which card goes where, 
but also the orientation of the card. And not only that, if that wasn't bad enough, then you add extra cards to the pile as well. For the beginner game, you only add one extra card, but you could add two or three to make it oh, more wow, difficult. Oh, wow, I didn't know that part. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't even know which four cards supposed to go on the board. The nice part is, though, everybody's doing this simultaneously. Everybody's got their own clover board. Everybody's literally simultaneously writing that. And it's not like you get to pick the orientation of the cards. You're stuck with whatever two words are on the outside. And sometimes there is nothing that connects those words, or at least you're really stretching to try to find it. So the way it works is that you pick somebody's board to go first. You look at the five cards is what we had. Again, it could be more. Uh, You try to put four of them on the board and find the orientation that makes it work. Then you say, is this correct? The clue giver then, without saying anything, removes whichever cards are incorrect, whether they are not the right cards or not in the right orientation, removes them. Then you get another shot at it. Then you just score one point for each card that you have correct at the end. If you had gotten it the first time, all four, you get two bonus points. So you get six points instead of just the four. So we played it three games in a row. First game we did okay. We missed like, I don't know, three or four. Second game, we only missed two. And actually two of us got it on the first guess. So we we did really well on that middle game. And then the last game, we didn't do well again. I had a lot of fun with that one. What are your thoughts on it, Mike? Yeah, I had a lot of fun, too. If people are taking a long time to guess your clue, that's the only time where there's, like, sort of downtime. But even that's kind of fun to, like, you know, tensely watch and hope that they figure things out. Really, my only complaint with the game, I thought it was entirely enjoyable, I would play it again, is that after kind of experiencing it for a different take on, like, the sort of, like, word deduction figuring out genre, I don't know when I would ever play it over Just One or Codenames Duet. I think if you don't own those games, I think it's good. I think it has some benefits. And I know, you know, you were like, oh, I know you're getting this when we get home. And I'm the one who pointed out at first that I don't know when I would fit it in. But I did think about it a little bit more. There's a couple of things that I think, first of all, it's simultaneous. Everybody's giving clues at the same time. No, it's not nearly as fast as something like Just One, where you're just boom, boom, boom around the table. So there is some more simultaneous action going on. So I think that is a benefit. I don't know that any one player has too much pressure. And it is different, but you're right. There is a lot of similarities with Just One. Well, and, and it felt way slower to me than either Codenames Duet or Just One, because all of these games are simultaneous for the most part. Yeah, it's true. But like this one, like uh, we had one person who was taking longer to write the clues. And it's not a big deal, but we were just kind of sitting around waiting for them to finish writing their clues. And the clues are tough, like Peter said, so it can take a while. It was good. It was definitely good. I I would be 100% happy to play it again. But yeah, if you don't buy it, I'm not going to either. We already have games that I think cover very similar ground to this one. Well, we're ruining our review. We're going to do this one in four weeks, but (laughs) who knows if we're going to do it now because he... Kind of, kind of giving up the, well, we'll see. We'll probably, I mean, if we play it again, then we'll definitely keep the review coming. I do think it is a good game. I think it is a very good game. I can see people liking it more than those other games. Personally, it's a little bit, it's a, a notch below for me as well, but that's not, it's not much of a notch. And if I didn't own those games, I would be ecstatic to play it. And if anybody pulled it out, I would be ecstatic to play it at any point. So I feel like it's one of those staple games. We've had a lot of these good party word games over the last couple of years, and I feel like it's another one that's really, really good. Yeah, then we played another word game. I, I didn't mention, but I uh, visited the Czech Games Edition room. I, I visited there just kind of to say hi to them because one of the people who is manning uh, their table this year is uh, Nathan, who designed the Doom Machine, a little like mini game that I enjoyed. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I was talking to them and I was like, yeah, I think I've covered everything you all have at Solo Co-op and even like a ton of things that aren't Solo Co-op. <laughs> like I just designed the solo mode for Galaxy Trucker recently. But they were like, hey, how about uh, Letter Jam? And I was like, what's Letter Jam? So uh, I got Letter Jam and we played that. And yeah, Letter Jam is another word game. So we, we, we forced Steve, who uh, does not like word games in general and does not like co-op games in general, to play uh, two word games in a row. No, 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 he likes word games. I'm the one who doesn't like word games. It's the co-op typically. part isn't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he hates co-op. I, so Steve, Escape Velocity, you, me, and Will were the four that ended up playing. By the way, still on Benadryl. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, Peter is still barely awake. So yeah, so the basic idea of Letter Jam is each player has letters face down in front of them. And they'll have one letter up at a time, but they can't see it. Only everyone else can see it. So you can see every letter around the table except your own. And there'll be some extra letters for like sort of non-player characters, basically. And uh, you're trying to give words. You can go like in whatever order you want. You're trying to give word clues that are spelled by using all the letters on the board. Plus, you're just trying to give as many letters to people as possible. And the people are deducing what their letter could be. You know, so if it's like H, my letter... U-S-E, then I'm like, oh, that's probably house. And my letter is probably an O. And whenever you think you know your letter, you don't get to actually look at it. You just put it face down. You move on to the next letter. And (laughs) all of that is leading to the end of the game where you have to take the five letters or however many you choose to play with. You can make the game harder or easier by changing up the number of letters. And you have to rearrange them because they've been shuffled into a five-letter word because that's how you get to the letters in the first place. At the beginning of the game, each player makes a five-letter word for another player and shuffles it and passes it to them. Now, it's not shuffled again, to be clear. You know which letters are supposed to be where. Yes, yes, yes. So you, you, <laughs> well, you, you know what you think the letters are. And then yes, you, correct. You rearrange them so that when you flip it, in theory... There is a word. And my favorite parts of the game were certainly when there was not a word at all. I mean, which was like every time, right? I mean, I think we got like two or three words at the end. But yeah, we played back-to-back games of this. And there there was some hilarity in the end game words. Although, I'll be honest, it takes a little bit to get there. Yeah, it, it was a tougher teach than I thought. Because I taught it to my wife right when I got home. And, and even then, even though I understood how to explain it better... It was still like slightly tough for me to teach it. I think now third time's a charm. I would probably be good like when I teach it to my kids or my my nine-year-old at least. But yeah, I, I love this one, Peter. I know you are you were less high on it, so why don't you talk about it? Well, the reason I'm less high on it, well, first of all, how to play two-player. That That's interesting. That two-player was friggin' great. I did not think it would be. I thought it would be terrible. And this would be like a only play with four or five people. I, I had zero problem with two-player. I thought it was excellent. Interesting because so not only do you have both of your letters up, but you do have piles of cards. So you have two like wild face up cards, too. I assume with two players. Well, yeah, you always have six letters available. So with two players, we had four. And and the thing about these like sort of oh, okay. non-player letters is that uh, if you use them, they go away and you get a new one from their pile. And if you exhaust their pile, you get an extra clue. So you need to use these extra letters. They're not just like extra things for you to kind of throw in because you can't figure out a good word. You need to be trying not only to be using the letters of your partners to help them guess what their letters are. You need to also use these kind of like extra letters. So you want to go for bigger words. You want to go for more distinct words. Yes, a two-player worked uh, fantastically well. Oh, that makes sense now. Yeah, I I thought you were going to have less letters, but no, that's really good. And you have a pad to like write down what the clues were. So you can put like question mark where your letters were. And then when you have guesses for them, there's areas to write it down. So it's definitely a mix of a deduction and a word game. 
the reason I didn't like it was very personal reasons. I am not the strongest reader. I am not the best at spelling. I am not. So I always felt like I was doing something wrong or spelling something wrong or missing words. And I definitely was many times. I was like, oh, this is the only word that could fit here. And you guys are like, no, there's three words that can fit. I'm like, really? Like, okay. Like I didn't know what any of the words could be. So because I am not the strongest of spellers and the strongest of readers, and I get it. Like there are people like who play charades and stuff who just have anxiety around that. And for me, that's what it was. It's like, I always felt like I wasn't smart enough to play the game or what, you know, I, I didn't know enough. And look, we're talking five, six, seven letter words here, but you guys were always coming up with like these big, long words. And I felt stupid when you guys would give clues and I had like three clues to my letter. And I'm like, I still have no clue what this letter or word could be. I couldn't even figure out my letter a lot of times. So it is definitely very specific to me. I think if you're not a word game player and you don't like word games, this one is a little bit on the higher end of complexity. I'm surprised you said you were going to play with your nine-year-old. Honestly, I can't even imagine maybe my 14-year-old and and my 10-year-old, but she's a very strong reader. So maybe, but, but I don't know. You know, a lot of these word games, just one or whatever. I was playing with my kids when they were way younger. I can't imagine playing with this with younger kids. First of all, the deduction part of it. And second of all, the spelling part. I enjoyed the hilarity of flipping over the letters when other people looked dumb, but I was always so scared that I was going to be the one looking dumb. So that's why for me, this one was a little bit lower on my list. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I agree with you that I sort of expected a lighter kind of just one level experience. And after playing it, I'm like, ooh, this would be like a little tough to just bust out on like a game night. Like I'd still try it, but it would take like a little bit of time to get into it. But I think with the right group, this would be freaking amazing. You got people that love Scrabble. They're going to love this game, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, and again, I, I love it. And I don't like word games usually, actually. I don't know if I said that. Well, I, I like, you know, just one. I don't think of that as a word game. But spelling games I tend to hate. I do not enjoy Scrabble. I do not enjoy Boggle. My wife loves both of those. So it was easy for her to play this. But yeah, no, I, that, that was one of my favorites of that night. And, and I'm so happy they gave a review copy so I could bring it home with me. So what were some standouts for you? Yeah, I mean, I'll just talk, like, again, I already did a video on this, but the biggest ones that I actually got to play were Familiar Tales, Tidal Blades 2, Letter Jams, and Astro Knights. Like, that's without a doubt. I mean, Kites and Retrograde were fun, but I don't see them having long staying power. They're just, like, kind of fun, quick, like, little real-time things. The ones that I didn't get to play but I'm excited about uh, would be Jurassic World, Ascension Tactics, and, like, maybe Kapow are a few of the ones that I would like to uh, play soon and try out. But, yeah. Familiar Tales and Tidal Blades 2 are probably my games of the con, and which is interesting because they're both storybook ones. They're both sort of dungeon crawlers, both very narrative-based. And that's not always a hit for me, but both of those had really good like core gameplay. Like that, As much as I liked the narrative for both of them, that's what sold me. Like The core gameplay loop just seemed excellent. So Tidal Blades was definitely my top. Not even close. Nothing was even in the same realm. It was kind of like that one convention where Oathsworn came out. And I played that and like nothing else compared to it. Like that to me was definitely the game of the con. Uh, I really liked Astro Knights. Uh, that is probably my second one. I mean, I like Aeon's End a lot, but the fact that this to my mind is the same, but better. I really like that. I like So Clover a lot as well with all the stuff we said. I still liked it. Ascension Tactics. I totally forgot about that's definitely near the top of my want to play badly list. 
the other games I liked, but for me, those were the games that I was like super excited, want to get back to. Now, to be fair, I didn't get to play all the games. Certainly Kites, I am really excited about as well. Uh, that would probably be my next one on the list. I know that the replayability might not be there, but my kids love Five Minute Dungeon. They love these fast sand timer games like Tale of Pirates, things like that. So I think it's going to be a huge hit in my family. So that one I'm definitely excited about as well. Not that I'm not excited about the other ones, but for me, there's a pedigree that comes along with some of these other games as well. They've kind of been there, done that with some of them. And I've not always been impressed with the work that's come out in the past. It's funny, Title Blades is near the top of my list, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered about how the campaign's going to go. Are the missions going to be all be interesting? Things like that. I definitely have all those questions, which are some of the questions I have about some of these other games as well. I've just seen a track record for the other ones. It doesn't lead me to believe that it's going to be for me in the long run. Whereas for title blades, not knowing almost puts it nearer to the top, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I think if you had played familiar uh, tales, it would have been in your top list as well. Well, I'm talking Jurassic Park, too. I know everybody gives them praise for all their games, but I liked Horrified. But that's it from that creative studio that I've really loved, you know? So I think that's a big buzz one that everybody's going to be excited isn't on my list, too. But it's just the history from them is kind of the same with the um, Familiar Tales. It's like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I see past just a demo game or whatever. Oh, right. But I mean, your biggest problem with Familiar Tales was the rule book. And like I said, like they've already fixed that problem. And like they actually like got an editor and they have all the rules like in the app and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, but if I love those games, you know, I've had rule problems with other games before and I've gotten through them. Sure, sure, sure. You know how it goes. I mean, look, I've liked those games. I think the mechanics are fine, but I like clever card play and dice play. And I guess I've never felt like that system is that clever to me. All right. No, that's, that's fair. I do think the like core system of title blades is more innovative. Like I, I definitely am more excited about that one. Right. But this one is still also very interesting. I think it does have cool card play and cool powers and stuff in some ways more than title blades. Cause there's like special power text and stuff on there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to play it. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to play it. But if I'm talking about what I am most excited yeah, about, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's not going to make the top of my list, but I think you... Well, I mean, I'm just saying you're wrong and you will be more excited <laughs> I mean, when you I play know it. You're like, gonna like, say I, I'm wrong. I know you're going to like it more than you think you are because I know what you like usually. <laughs> yes, and you're usually right about that too. And so I'm definitely going in with an open mind, but without having played it and it's more of a history thing for me. I know I'm going to play it, but I'm just uh, going in more cautious. Sure, I will sure. say the the app is amazing, and I love the fact that it reads to you, and Title Blades doesn't do that. So who knows? It may even end up higher on my list. We'll see, because I'm sure we'll review them both next year. It'll be interesting to see where they come out at the end of the year on our uh, top list for next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect them to be there. I guess we'll, it'll depend on whether they come out next year. <laughs> uh, it seems like certainly at least uh, Familiar Tales will. Yeah, actually, I don't think Title Blades will. Now that I think about it, if it's just kickstarting next year, yeah, no, you're probably right. That's probably at least another year off after that. All right, so uh, there we go. A whole lot of games and a longer episode than normal. So I hope that was enjoyable with our goofy stories and things in there. Well, we forgot about Sunday. Oh, uh, I mean, 
We didn't really play anything Sunday. I, I, I like we did get uh, cheesesteaks. We went to Pat's, which is our annual tradition on our way home. One of the two cheesesteaks places, and that's the one that's outdoors and easier to get to. Got to remember to bring cash next year. That is for sure. So thanks for spotting us, Mike. I'll have to uh, pay you back very shortly. So uh, <laughs> there is that. But yeah, if you're in Philly, you got to get a cheesesteak. Yeah, I know. That, that was great. Yeah. Did we, we didn't play anything on Sunday. I, I think I did like uh, half a game of that, that, uh, that rummy style Charmed. game again. Oh, that's right. We all, oh, we played a little bit of Charmed and yep, that, that was a game. Charmed and Dangerous. And then we looked at Robin Hood and uh, yep. that was basically it. I kind of showed you the games that I had seen that you were too busy doing meetings to see. Although to be honest, I don't know that you missed out. The only game I bought and came home with from the con was Trails. And like I said, that one stood up even to future plays. Yep, same for me. The the only one I played when I got home, I was like, hey, sweetie, you want to learn Letter Jam? And we played it and it was great. <laughs> yeah, so after a full con of gaming, we picked the lightest things that we had come home with from the con and uh, took those and brought them right to the table. That is for sure. So everybody, thanks for listening and hope, uh, I mean, gosh, with, with what's going on in the world again, hope cons keep going or maybe they shouldn't. I don't really know, but uh, we still got some great games coming. So at least that part is good. Yeah, I'm super excited about the beginning of this year. And in two weeks, we're going to be doing our top games of the year. So look forward to that one. I know we always do. Yep, absolutely. All right, Mike. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. What's up? You want to have a whiskey night tomorrow? Absolutely not. <laughs> and I'm not playing Guy Project with you either. Dang it! I love Guy Project! <laughs> I, I do like Guy Project by the way. It's not, not whiskey Guy Project. <laughs>